Now we go on, we continue now in chapter 8 of uh, St. John's Gospel, and we pick up uh, where the text left off. There is the word um, again in the text, um, which leads me to think that um, the the editor is, is picking this up again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, you see, the first thing he says to them in the midst of all this, if you remember where we were uh, before we had this, you know, we were having this argument in 752. And then again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Now, what can that mean? I am the light of the world. What does light do? It gives joy. It gives hope. It gives a, you can see where you're going. It allows you to see the whole world as it really is. It gives you life. And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. This is introducing a whole new theme into the Feast of Sukkot. We're still at Sukkot. And Jesus is uh, in the Temple Esplanade. The last line of our other text said, that um, he was in the uh, treasury. And then the, the text that we just had interrupts that, and now we're back. That's important because um, the treasury was over near the women's court. And so, and now he begins, you see. Now, this is, I am the light of the world, is a revelation formula, just as much as from out of his midst shall flow rivers of living water. I am the light of the world. How does the whole Bible start? Let there be light. There was chaos, darkness, and the Spirit of God hovering over it all. And then God spoke, let there be light. All of this is in the background of John when he's writing the prologue. You see? And he was the light, and the light was the life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness is not comprehended. That's an anticipation of what's being said here. You see, I am the one that shows you where you're going, that illumines your life, illumines the face of my Father for you. You see, uh, I am the light of the world. And then, what does he say about us in Matthew? You are the light of the world. A city on a mountain cannot be hidden. That's quite a statement. You are the light of the world. If you believe in me, then the whole world can see where it's going in virtue of you if you know how to really love me, really live by me, and really love everybody you meet. Then you are the light of the world. It's so amazing. And so, you see, whether it be pro-life work or any other thing, you see, as we witness in peace and in clarity and in charity, we are the light of the world. Abortion is murder. You're murdering a child and you're scarring a woman for life. Uh, it's wrong. That's the light. You see? The other theme of this feast, 
water theme, and the light theme. So we're going to, when we finish chapter 8, as we will next time, then we go into chapter 9, which is the healing of the blind man. How he gives light. And then we have in that, this whole image, the blind beggar on trial. Who's the blind beggar on trial? The Christian. The healed blind man on trial. And so here, you are the light of the world, okay? Um, now, uh, Psalm 118, which is part of the, it's the theme, the, one of the Psalms for Sukkoth, where we are, it says, the Lord is God and he has given us light. That's the, that's why they had these four huge candles, uh, probably of olive, olive oil basin on the top of a, some sort of a pier. And they had to, the young man had to climb up on a ladder to light it. And it shed light. And of course, the whole city of Jerusalem would be full of light, recalling the pillar of fire that led them huh, through the desert. God, the pillar of fire. And so, um, the Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. God is our light. God is what makes sense of our life. God is what illumines. God is what fills our minds. We come to know him and the knowledge of God is light. That's what the text is saying. Okay. The one following me does not walk in darkness. Well, who follows Jesus? Those who obey him. Right? If you're obeying Jesus, you're not walking in darkness. You know where you're going. You know how to make decisions. And you are there with him. Because he is the light of the world. And if you're following him, you do not walk in darkness. But he will have the light of life. Because you see, light is life. There's a text in Job speaking about bringing back his soul from the pit to the light in the land of the living. Then you got Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. If he's my light and my salvation, whom do I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom am I afraid? And then, as we're going to see when we do John 9, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then John 12, when you have... While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become children of the light. That's addressed to us. It's in chapter 12, addressed to the Jews, but it's also addressed to us, you see. So, the one following me does not walk in darkness. Even when everything is dark, hard, even the dark night of the soul, there's light. In fact, as the mystics will tell us, the dark night of the soul is so painful because it is an excess of light. More light than we can stand. And the excess of that light so causes us pain and we see our total insufficiency. The whole goal of that experience is to bring forth an heroic act of hope. I give up relying on myself totally. 
That's freedom. I rely on God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And so that's what he's saying, you see? Um, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. That's the warning our Lord gives in chapter 12, which is just before the Passion narrative. Okay. And the Pharisee said to him, You bear witness to yourself. Your witness is not true. And that's correct. I mean, that's the law. Jesus answered and said to them, If I bear witness to myself, my witness is true. And then this statement recalls, if you can remember, the whole altercation that took place in chapter 5. After our Lord had healed the uh, crippled man at the pool of Bethsaida, and then the argument about um, uh, whether he had the right to break the Sabbath or not. huh? And so this is what this is. Um, you see, um, and if I bear witness to myself, my witness is true. I cannot do anything on my own. This is chapter 5. I judge as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. That's how we get to be righteous. Okay. If I testify on my own behalf, my testimony cannot be verified. But there is another who testifies on my behalf, and I know that the testimony he gives on my behalf is true. The Father witnesses for me. And if you remember that part, you can go back and look it up. In chapter 5 of John, he lists the witnesses. John the Baptist, the Father, the Father's works, and the Scriptures. Four witnesses witness to him. Okay. Um, but my witness is true because I know where I came from and where I am going. That's interesting. To the degree that we know where, we're, where we came from and where we're going, our life is free of duplicity. Because it's an honest life. You may remember, and I've quoted this for you before, but it's Psalm 32, uh, where the man is speaking about how he achieved freedom. And freedom even from disease. Because he confessed his sin. While he was hiding his sin, he was in misery. So he starts this, um, whoops, he starts this psalm, 32, if you want to look it up, and it says, you see, happy the one whose fault is taken away, whose sin is covered. Happy the man to whom the Lord imputes no guilt. So you have three expressions of forgiveness of sins, right? And then you have, in whose spirit there is no guile. How does that go with the other three? It's the result of the other three. A man, you see, uh, who, as we're going to see now, you see, as long as I would not speak, confess, my bones wasted away with my groaning all the day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then, this is verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. My guilt I covered not. I said I confess my faults to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. And for this, 
every faithful man shall pray to you. In other words, now I'm okay. Before, my bones were, were burning, My, you know, why? And you see what that means? Uh, I was a liar. I was acting like I was a righteous man, and I wasn't because I had unconfessed sin. That's what makes all of us liars. Unless we know how to really be true to, to God and to the truth, okay? So I know where I'm going, and I know where I came from. You judge according to the flesh, which is interesting as a almost a Pauline phrase. I do not judge anybody in that way, condemn. If I do judge, my judgment is true because I am not alone. But it is I and the Father who sent me who judge. So, I'm not alone. And in your law it is written that the testimony of two men is trustworthy. I am witnessing concerning myself and the Father who sent me witnesses. We have two witnesses. And so, my witness is true. And they said to him, Where is your father? And he said, You do not know either my father or me. Now, Jesus spoke these words in the temple treasury, teaching in the temple. And no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. There you see, you see, in the first story, that inserted beautiful story about God's mercy, we saw misericordia et miseria. Here we see lumen uh, et tenebrae, light and darkness. You see, shadows. And the difference is the truth. The truth. He who bears witness to the truth, he who lives the truth, is true. And because he and the Father are both bearing witness to his reality, it should be accepted. But to accept that, you've got to have a softened heart and yield to the truth of God. Amen.